Okay. Are, are you working through something there? Oh. I'm working through the uh, <laughs> the accent book. I've ticked off Australian. I've nailed that. Oh, mate. Oh, mate. No, I just, I just, I really hate lazy comedy. So we're ending this podcast. <laughs> There's nothing funny about this podcast. <laughs> no, exactly. It is lazy though. Are you gonna bark all day? Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben and Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises and film nonsense. This week is a franchise fatigue episode. We should take a franchise and look at the high points, the low points and everything in between to sort the perfect price of popcorn from the sad stuff bits at the bottom of the bucket. This week we once again return to Hogwarts and we look at Harry Potter films again. This week it'll be Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So <laughs> you said again a lot. Again. <laughs> and we don't we don't once again return to Hogwarts. We return to Hogwarts. When we do the next part, we once again return to Hogwarts. Okay. You f lot, mate. Please carry on. This week we return to Hogwarts as we look at Films 3 and 4 in the Harry Potter Wizarding World franchise, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Hazgar Rob, and Harry Potter and the Roblet of Fire. I get the feeling that by the time we get to the end of the series and Fantastic Beasts, it's going to be Rob, Rob, Robbity, Rob, Rob, Rob. <laughs> and Rob, Rob, Robbity, 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 Rob. And because these are family-friendly films, we were editing out the swearing. So, Ben, if you say something really offensive right now, go. There we are. Thank you. You'll hear a nice, magical sound instead. Yeah, I was thinking about changing the magical sound per part. I was so actually you, thinking. You I was actually thinking of editing because I, I can't. Remember, I was editing the films we're looking forward to in in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty three. A look and see, and you were swearing about Spider Man as usual, and I thought it would be funny if we always edited out the swearing just around that the bleep was a th- something to do with that theme. So Spider Man would just be a thwip sound instead of a swear. Yeah, we're not going to always edit out the swearing though. I know. This is, I know. This is I just, just a solemn promise I made to your kin that uh, that well, I was informed of this solemn promise. I edit. I censored you. Yeah, you you censored me. So you know, it does it does make me more tempted to then swear. But I'm just going to speak freely, and then then we'll edit over, and we'll be you know as toothless as all the other podcasts out there. Most podcasts do swear. It's it's fine. It's you know, who needs artistic integrity? Rob. Hello. Yeah. All right. So, you may be able to tell because there's there's probably a different energy. We recorded the part one quite a while ago. Yeah, I think we recorded part one before Fantastic Beast One came out. Yes, it seems like it. So yes, yeah, so we, we've we've picked this back up because this was we definitely wanted to do a big franchise and obviously potter can't get much bigger in terms of like cultural influence i mean we we talked about all this in the first part at least if i remember the edit correctly it's weird it's weird going back to these things because some some of the things are so familiar and then some of the things are glaringly kind of like obvious like so i mean okay just just intro um Probiner of probably Prob Prob Asgarov. Okay, so it was released in two thousand and four. 
Directed by Alfonso Cuaron, taking over from Christopher Columbus. Starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert... Chris Columbus. What? Christopher Columbus is the guy who circumnavigated on a ship. I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he's actually born Christopher. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he is, but his professional name is Chris Columbus. It's not directed by Christopher Columbus. Well, isn't his, his production company his 1492 Productions or whatever it is? Yeah, yes, clearly he's leaning into it, but what I'm saying is he's credited as Chris Columbus. Christopher Columbus, it, they think you're thinking of the historical figure. Starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, Robbie Coltrane, Michael Gambon, Richard Griffiths, Gary Oldman, Alan Rickman, Fiona Shaw, Maggie Smith, Timothy Spall, David Thewlis, Emma Thompson, and Julie Walters. The mm-hmm. description from the inside of the Blu-ray. Array Physical Media. Array Physical Media. In their third year at Hogwarts, Harry, Ron and Hermione meet escaped prisoner Sirius Black and learn to handle a half-horse, half-eagle hippogriff, repel shape-shifting bogarts and master the art of divination. Harry must also withstand soul-sucking dementors, outsmart a dangerous werewolf and deal with the truth about Sirius and his relationship to Harry and his parents. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I think it is, well, for a long time, it's definitely my favourite book. And I think it's generally accepted that this is the better film in the series because it's much darker in tone. It's almost, almost Alfonso Cuaron is a serious director as opposed to Christopher Columbus. Chris. His middle name is Topher, like Topher Grace. Just Chris Columbus. His name's Chris Columbus. For sake. We're not making this a thing. You've already said Christopher Columbus on previous... If it bothers you that much, just let me know. I'm letting you know, you bitch. <sighs> Definitely different energy in the room. Yeah, telling me. Someone's let the Dementors in. That just sounded creepy and sexual. <laughs> Someone's let the Dementors in. I mean, you just sound more like Carrie on Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, it's generally accepted to be the better movie, one of the best if not the best of the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, so it marks a notable change in tone from the rest of the series. What with the the architecture of the school is completely different. It's almost a much more muted palette. The first thing I noticed actually is when they're in the non or well, in the Muggle world, is a lot of shaky camera work, and it, it's quite different to what was done before. It almost makes it look sort of like a documentary. It's different when he goes back to Hogwarts, but when he's in uh, Privet Drive with the Dursleys, it almost looks like that kind of. Yeah, documentary footage. I didn't notice that. That's I'd never noticed it before, but this time around I did. Was it just was it just the the scene with Marge? It's, bef- it's they were having the shaky cam. It's, oh, it's before that. It's, it's, it's when he's it's when I noticed it when he's walking downstairs and they're all getting ready for Marge and sort of letting her in and stuff. But it is it's the you know sometimes um, they might have uh, his dark materials did it that where they've got different worlds they've got a different person to direct. Uh, my understanding is a different direct for, uh, for for a lot of the different worlds. So it's almost yeah, like a different style. A different yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I see. I didn't notice that. That's cool. Well, yeah, it's because Alfonso Cuaron is a damn good filmmaker, hmm. and and I think, I mean, and definitely, this marks a huge visual step up from the first two films. I think it has a lot more. It has a lot more tricks, I guess. <laughs> but like in terms of in terms of kind of like. Uh, weird edits and and cuts to certain things. The pace is actually a bit more ponderous. I think they don't. It's not cut like a family movie anymore. It's cut like you know with, when you have the sort of dialogue things and whatever. It actually goes long 
I mean, the one that comes to mind uh, especially is when they're in the classroom facing the boggart. Yes. And you've got the, the shot that goes through the mirror. Yes. Onto the class and then back through the mirror that, at the end. That's always really interesting, that is, because the whole thing is shot through the mirror. Yeah. Or shot yeah, as if it's through the mirror. It's very clever. And then you kind of forget have, until it takes you back out of it at the end. Yeah, exactly. It's it's super it's super weird. Um, but you've got a lot of iris cuts as well. He really likes these iris cuts. The, the sort of things you'd get at the end of a Tom and Jerry cartoon or any silent movie. Those sort of things where it sort of fades to a circle. It sort of fades yeah. down to a black circle, like black black down to a circle. Yeah, and it gives it a, a very sort of weird feeling. It's cool. I really like it. But like it, it's definitely a lot more inventive and dare I say playful than the first two. I think the first two, they work on their own kind of things, but they're quite workmanlike. I think this, this has got more of a stamp on it. And, and like, like you said, with the sort of Hogwarts architecture and stuff, because I'm pretty sure that it didn't have that huge clock. What is it called? The swingy thing. Pendulum. Pendulum. Thank you. They, they didn't have that because I'm, I'm, I keep waiting for it to hit a student. <laughs> As it goes through the hall, but they didn't have them. But it, no, I the scale is much grander. But like, you know, they moved Hagrid's hat. They they had the wooden bridge in. Um, I did find a quote about this that that uh, Alfonso Cuarón said. I'll just see if I can find it. Yeah, that he he, uh, he wanted to better establish the layout of Hogwarts to make it seem like a real place and not just a group of sets like in the previous films. We started mm. linking spaces. So you see, there's the Great Hall, and right outside the Great Hall is the hallway leading you to the staircase. And if you don't go up the staircase, you go to Gryffindor. Or if you walk over the wooden bridge, you'll go down to a little garden monolith to see uh, Hagrid. So it's almost to try and make it more real, uh, like a, a real place, as it were. Well, I think I think they probably had to establish that because the Marauders map is a big kind of thing in this. Yeah. And, and so it shows the layout of Hogwarts. So you better decide what the layout of Hogwarts is before you get all the CGI involved in everything. So yeah, the, there's there are things I really like. I I do feel, and again, you know, it's clearly not the book. I think it's probably one of the best films, but I think it's a poor adaptation. I I, I think that, and it's also it's quite, although it's it's totally different from the first two films. It's also quite different from the ones that come later. I know it's because they mm. had the same director for the last three or four films. I think mm. last four films, yeah. Yeah, but it just it feels it feels that it's it's in a hurry with the story, like it just wants to rush over things. So, so the thing is, and it, it changes the context of certain things. So, it's her name's Marge, isn't it? Pam yes. Ferris, uh, who's really good. I mean, obviously she's brilliant at being an odious cow, but that whole thing, like you know, that's the evening that she arrives. Whereas I believe in the book, he's been like well-behaved for a week and he's managed to hold out until then and it's just that he's he's she's kind of stamping on his last nerve whereas he seems way too reactionary this time i mean she's saying awful things about his family and everything but like you know what i mean it's it's a little it's it's a little truncated and and it, it 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 feels more cartoony in that thing and i realized i'm talking about a scene where a woman gets inflated and then, uh, kind of just do you know? Do you know what I like about that scene as well? Um, is that the, the couple of details? The one that they have a TV in every eye line. I think yeah. so. 
Dudley's watching it in like at the table. I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's in the book. He's got quite a few t- TVs, so he never yeah. misses something. <laughs> yeah. I like the fact that when she starts inflating and everything, instead of being shocked, Vernon's kind of just like, oh, no. Yes, oh, yeah. No. The like, other thing I found weird at that is that the music is almost uh, joyful and jovial. Well, well it's because it's, yeah. I mean, we're, we're meant to side with Harry at this thing. She's getting her comeuppance, isn't and she? And I do love that it, as, as he walks out, you can still hear her and see her just floating in front of the moon, like E.T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I do, I do like the fact that uh, the dog starts biting Vernon's leg, hmm. and and then he's holding on to Marge, and then and she says, "Don't you dare!" And he says, "Sorry, Marge," and lets her go. You know, that's that's cool, but it's such a it's such an odd reaction, like this sort of oh, no, no, no. And then he, his scream of Marge doesn't. It's just it's weird. It's a very strange thing. I mean, it's good. It's good. It's you know, let's. But it, it's it's a little. And said, I think I think having, I know you know in a Harry Potter movie you want to get to Hogwarts and you want to see all the magic stuff and and that's you know that's understandable, but I think showing that he's actually got like a a tentative peace with the Dursleys until Marge comes in and even then he manages to hold it together until the last evening where you know she gets a bit drunk and mouthy. Hmm. Um, I think that would be better for his character. It made him more sympathetic. I don't know. Time constraints as well. Yeah, no, and I realise that. But you can, you can. This this film has a ton of you know time skips. Mm, Yes. You know, so so you could easily have a montage, not a musical montage, but a montage of her staying there and and whatever. Like it really wouldn't take that much. I don't think and they tend to have montages in the Harry Potter films. I can't think of any of no, them. No, but wouldn't that make sense to show him biting his tongue and kind of biding his time? Because that's the th- that's the thing that I always always found about the book was the fact that he's like, oh, he's trying, he's trying, he's taking, he's he's being diplomatic about this. He's using diplomacy. He's not just kicking up against the Dursleys all the time he's he's kind of because he wants his hogsmeade thing signed and all that stuff so anyway that's a minor minor quibble but it does feel especially and i i think i think a, a big problem with the movie is the fact that you don't get a sense of the marauders behind the marauders map no and that was always a cool thing like to kind of because you don't even know you don't even know why I don't think it even does. It even say that your dad was prongs. It doesn't explain any of the things, does it? Uh, I think. It, I think at some point somebody calls Remus. Maybe he'd be Mooney. I think. Mm. But I, yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't think it is. I, I don't think it, it. It is explained in the way it go. Like they don't go into it in the uh, the way they do in the book. It's just a random map. Yeah, and it's just like. But then how would he know? I mean, you, there's clearly a figure behind the stag Patronus, but, like, how would he know that that was... Why would he think that was his dad? Because he looks like him. He can't f-ing see anything. Well, just I mean, the stag. we are skipping way a lot. No, no, I know, I know. But no, I'm just I'm just saying that it doesn't... The, the thing that's interesting to me is you don't... 
you don't really get the sense of brotherhood and and there is there is something that the whole the whole peter pettigrew thing hinges on the fact that it's that sort of old school literal old school kind of brotherhood yeah. and the fact he betrayed them and and the emotion he was their friend and he betrayed them oh, oh that's it we'll talk about that scene but those are those are the stakes those those that's the big kind of twist that's the thing that's meant to kind of light a fire under potter and everything but it it doesn't it rings a bit hollow because you don't get a sense of who the hell they were and you get the scene where lupin's talking to him about oh you know you're yes i knew your mother and you like your dad as well and and whatever but it's 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 odd to me that that's the thing that they would skip. It, I, I think, I think getting a sense of who the marauders were, and a sense of of the people who are now teachers and whatever in Hogwarts, getting a sense of who they were as as youths, I think that is important, and I think it, it lets down the uh, the reveal and and all the all the cool serious black stuff. Yeah, I suppose it's all kind of brushed away, isn't it? But yeah, I, I guess when when you're in a book, you've kind of got the narrator to kind of say what they're thinking and feeling, which you can't put on screen. No, no, but there are there are multiple ways around these things, and and yes, it doesn't have to be just a, a dry dialogue scene where they're just like, well, of course you went to Hogwarts before, and you were known as Padfoot because you would you could transform into a dog, you know. So anyway, go on. Let's go back to to your first page. I know I know we're jumping all over the place, but we're assuming that a people have probably read the books or listened to the books, and b seen the movie multiple times. You know, so so we we can we can time jump because we've got time Turner. Yeah, exactly. So this has the appearance of the night bus, which yep. in the book mentions our hometown of Abergavenny, which I was yep. very excited to read when I was however young I was when the book came out. Yeah, me too. I just moved to Abergavenny at that time, so it felt it felt kind of extra special. Then I lived in Abergavenny and realised it wasn't special at all. <laughs> okay. So, the uh, Ian Brown or Lenny Henry cameos as a shrunken head, and Ian Brown cameos as a wizard stirring a tea in the leaky cauldron. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You get husband and wife because you got Lenny Henry as the shrunken head, and you got uh, Dawn French as the fat lady. Yeah. So, sorry, you don't seem impressed with that little fact. That Dawn French is in it. That Lenny Henry and Dawn French are in the same movie as husband and wife. Yes, they're not anymore though. No, but they were at the time. So this is where you see the introduction of the Dementors and new Dumbledore, now played by Michael Gambon. Yeah, Gambledore. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to get a fix on him. I mean, I said before that Richard Richard Harris was that sort of mischievous kind of grandpa. He had a twinkle in his eye. Gambon doesn't. He's a, he's more intense, I, and I like him. And and I I think that that he sells different aspects of the Dumbledore character, but he doesn't quite have that sort of mischief that Richard Harris had. Ian McKellen apparently didn't even audition because Richard Harrison said he was a dreadful actor. Richard Harris said that Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen was a dreadful was a actor. What? Uh, Richard Harris was a bit all drunk by the end. <laughs> like, you know, he really was. No, I, I like I like Gambledore. Yeah, he, he does he does approach things with, with a little bit more intensity. Which 
works, especially for the later movies. You know, because again, we talked about the first two, especially being like kid adventures, woo, and and then this is kind of. Do you know there there are certain things I I really like about this? The fact that they sort of ground it in the whole teenager thing. I yeah, like I, I like that it's that it's more of a. It seems to be a much more of a class now with different like uh, more friends rather than they're just being the central trio of Harry, Ron, and Hermione. That you do spend time with a little bit of time with other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they they spend they spend time kind of establishing that the fact that they're wearing sort of muggle clothes for some of it just you know yeah apparently that was to let their personalities come out and Alfonso Cuarón yeah. basically just told people you know dress how you would your uniform which is why some people are kind of uh, all neat and then people are sort of untucked shirts and well that's it but that's the thing that sold it to me mm. with the with the sort of uh, the the weird kind of uniform things like you know Harry's got a kind of collar that isn't done properly and a bit sloppy whereas Hermione's obviously very well turned out Ron it looks like he got all his stuff from a fourth hand shop which you know he basically did and you know they they do a good job of doing that I I much prefer that to the sort of the the standard robes and the stupid elf yeah. hats that they had yeah. in the first one there's quite a famous story I mean it's, it's been repeated ever since the film was made back in uh, well, nearly 20 years ago now that Alfonso Cuaron went to the main trio and asked them to write a little essay on um, on what the character was like and Daniel Radcliffe did about half a page um, Emma Watson did I think like four pages and uh, Rupert Grint forgot <laughs> yeah well I mean that is good casting yeah. I mean you know it, it's got their it's got their personalities down what one that one kind of uh, story that I came across when researching this was uh, how Quaron wanted to present the Dementors. Is this yes? I was going to say that one because this is I've never heard this before. No. I don't know why I hadn't heard this before, but it's it's to do with when he when the Dementors because obviously they freeze stuff. He wanted it to be very cold and things to sort of die around them, and it's you know it's it's sucking the sort of beauty out of things, but. Uh, but he said that he wanted, he wanted like the rain to be to ice, but he's got a very thick Mexican accent, so the production team and everyone thought he said eyes, <laughs> and so there there's apparently concept art of it raining eyes <laughs> when the Deventers and I tell you what I, that I I can't think of anything more metal. I want to see that. That'd be amazing. That'd be terrifying. I know. But it, it raining eyes is so left field, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, that would definitely put you on the back foot, wouldn't it? It starts raining eyes. Yeah, I think you just give up. Yeah, I've just been like, Jesus, I'm, this is way above what I can handle. Yeah, yeah. they presented it to a stunned Quaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've got this horrific arts <laughs> you know just like you said with all the eyes yeah no but I'd, I'd love to see that absolutely love to see that um but yeah so, so there are and and dementors i mean obviously this they i don't think they do too much to differentiate themselves from the ring race yeah particularly when you think the, the time they came out as well yeah, and and that's fine, but the and the spectres you know, in the Dark Materials books. I know, but nobody cares about those. I care, Benjamin. I yeah, care exactly. A nobody cares about those. I'm being mean about Dark Materials now. 
That's that's the thing because you keep bringing it up. It's cool. I really like the the, the train sequence where you know it stops suddenly, and then Ron says maybe it's broken down, and you're thinking it's a magic train. I assume would it break down? But it's nice. The metals and all the ice spreading, and and you gotta love the the sort of hand on the window, hmm. and you can see the ice spreading out from it, and and freezing the sort of bottle of water and whatever. And we get introduced to Lupin. And and all his kind of things, and David Thewlis is brilliant as Lupin. He's instantly likable. Yes, yeah. You just you just trust him, but then you know they rarely miss when it comes to casting. Well, when they, it comes to casting the adults, and uh, and so you got you know David Thewlis, Gary Oldman. I mean, I I love I love the fact that he must have had a good couple of days practice just screaming at camera for all the posters and the sort of newspaper headlines and everything like that. Just, just, just Gary, just scream at the camera a bunch. Yeah, but he'd already done that because he'd done that everyone, hadn't he? So he's used to screaming. Everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's fully within his wheelhouse. <laughs> like, yeah, this isn't asking him to do anything that he hasn't done before. Um, but that's really, really well done. I mean, Timothy Spall, I think is, a great slimy Peter Pettigrew mm. and Emma Thompson. I like the divination lessons because they're meant to be ridiculous. And what I like about it is that that's the, the lesson that you know Hermione stops. You know she she's sort of top of class and everything, and, and wants to do the best and think and sort of listens to everything the teacher says. And in this, she just can't really um, contain her irritation at how pathetic it is. And there's a bit where they're reading the tea leaves and. Ron is saying that Harry will suffer but be happy and in the background Emma Watson is doing a great eye roll at it, it's brilliant <laughs> I I think she's very rude though when she turfs over that crystal ball yeah but, she's, the, but the professor was mean to her yeah, see I think what do you think of Random Exposition is, Kid? who's Random Ex- Exposition Kid? there's a character in in, uh, in this and I think he's in Order of the Phoenix as well and he's called Bem B-E-M Mm. He's the one who says it's like trying to Almost catch. Almost a great name. It's close to a great name. Yeah. Um, it's like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands. That kid. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he does. He does actually have quite a few kind of lines. Always ominous portent about them. Yeah. 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 Like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands. Yeah, I like him. I mean, I don't have too much of an opinion on it because, you know, he's in it for. A grand total of about thirty seconds. He, he comes oh. back in the fifth year in a different house. Wow, that's just poor continuity. I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. By the way, mainly because it's been going round and round and round in my head. I quite like the fact that they've got the sort of they got a musical bit at the start, the double double toil and trouble. That is because they wanted to keep uh, Warwick Davis in there, but Flitwick wasn't in the it wasn't in the script. So they were just like, well, conduct this orchestra. Yeah. And uh, the main producer of the series... David Heyman? I think so, yes. Liked this new kind of design of Flitwick, because obviously it was quite different from the first two films, mm-hmm. that he kept him as that for where Flitwick is in the later films. Yeah, he's got like a hair transplant. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And that but... uh, sort of anti-wrinkle thing from Back to the Future 2. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like the fact that uh, they have gigantic toads, I think, 
as part of the choir. It's the frog chorus. Uh, oh, it's the frog chorus. Okay. But my favorite is the one on the far right of the thing. It would be not in the far right. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to, as soon as I said far right, yes, very good, very good political. Ha, ah, Ben's a Nazi. Um, <laughs> he's nodding his head to the beat. Yeah. He, he's nodding his head. I love that. I love that little guy. So, you know, yeah. No, excellent joke, man. I mean, just just stellar stuff. Um, oh, God, you're tetchy this evening. I'm not tetchy. It's just I, just when I can see the joke coming from a f***ing mile away with neon letters and air horns, I'm, I'm kind of I'm irritated because it takes that long to get here and it's not worth the wait. Was it worth the rant, though? Anything's worth a rant. I, I will go off on a rant on a hair trigger for that you know that i like the whomping willow and that that's kind of got a few cutscenes in this where it's like shedding leaves or smacking a bird out of the way just as got cut aside i noted that as well it's a cool way to show that the season's changing hmm. and when it shakes off the snow the snow spatters on the camera yes yeah uh, yeah no it's very cool and and again to remind us of the whomping willow because that becomes important later so you know, it's good stuff. I mean, there are some, there are some genuinely like beautiful shots in this film. Yeah, and some, like, yeah, some, as you said, some lovely directorial touches. But like, I love, I love the the fact that in the Quidditch match, when Harry goes like way up in the sky, and you, and it's you know, it's it it should have been rained off. Well, he, he didn't solve the uh, the uh, icing problem. Yeah, he didn't solve the icing problem, or, or the eyes problem. <laughs> Can you imagine that scene with all the eyes falling down? That'd be terrifying. But you know he so he goes up and then he gets that's when Mary Poppins died. Moment. Yeah, exactly. Because there's an umbrella just floating around. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. It's a, a huge crossover. It's all part of the same universe. But you get the lightning flash illuminating the cloud of and, and of the grim, the kind of thing there. That's that's cool stuff. That's really good. And I even quite like the 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 sort of more tactile thing of it changing to freezing rain and actually cutting his face a little bit. Mm. Just little details like that kind of sell you on the whole thing, so you know it's not just a CGI effect. I mean, it is, but you know what I mean. It's like it that character is in that part of the world. I mean, there is some there's some poor CGI in this, but that bit I think is is very cool. But again, I don't know why they don't have. They must have like a they if they don't, they should have like a magical safety net or something at the bottom of the thing because Harry falls a hundred feet and Dumbledore happens to be pay- paying attention. I goes, oh, you know, arrest her momentum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, you know, I mean, Christ. Yes, arrest her momentum. No, there, are, there are nice little details I like uh, in this as well. I like Hagrid's suit. Remember the suit he's he's worn for for the, the hearing. About oh yeah, Buckbeak. the Buckbeak, the hippogriff. Yeah, that's nice when when he's riding that. I really like that scene, actually, I, I, and I think it's good. But again, they play it too cartoony with Malfoy. Like, I know that he's meant to be a gigantic wuss. And, and you know, like, yes, go with all the sort of swagger up to it, and then, then it rears up and, and cuts him and everything. But it's like, I just, I, I wish it was a little... Less cartoony. I do like the line about "I'll get you" and that great chicken. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But you know, he's munching an apple. He's kind of doing whatever, and he's just you know, 
calling it stupid or whatever. I can't remember the actual line, but uh, you know, it, it's it's a bit. I mean, I know this is for kids. I know we're talking about a magical wizard movie, but it, it those things, especially when the films become adept later at grounding the whole thing, even having fantastical elements, but grounding it in, into like things that people would actually say to each other. I think that this is a weird sort of transitional thing, which may be the point because they're all teenagers and all dealing with stuff. But it, it's it's a little strange. But I yeah I I like I like Hagrid teaching the class and and that he's good at it. I like his little sort of aside to Harry. How how am I doing? Yeah, and but that's the thing you, you don't get time to feel sorry for Hagrid until later when he's like crying because they they're putting Buckbeak to death. Well, I mean that's the, the I'm thinking that watching these again. I wonder if if Game of Thrones had been made before this. Or if they're looking to the Harry Potter films now, do you think they do them as films or as a series? I don't know. I, I mean, suppose they... it's difficult with the kid act, child actors because they can only keep them for certain hours, I think. Well, the Stranger Things people manage it, don't they? I mean, well, now they're all about in their mid-40s, aren't they? They just age them down. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, maybe they would do a TV series. I can see them doing movies again, though. But, but if, if it was to be made now, I don't think they would cut the corners that they did. Well, and at the... this point, the the, um, the books were still being written, so you didn't really know what was important and what wasn't. No, but they were still whole novels. Hmm. And and, and I, as I said, I think that some of the things that they leave out, especially the Marauder backstory, does affect the dramatic stakes of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I always didn't like the fact that the Patronus, that's the thing that repels the... Um... The Dementors that that Harry's meant to be incredibly advanced to be able to produce a, a, a full one, a, a corporeal one, I think they call it. In the book, it's mm. described as a stag, and in this, it's just white light, and that's always kind of irritated me. Yeah, but then his dad produces one, but it's not his dad; it's him. Yeah, no, well, I understand that. Yeah, so he does produce a stag, but you don't see it as a stag; you just see it as a white light. You see the stag later. You don't. You do later in the it, films, but yeah, no, in in this one, it, it gallops across the um, the icy lake. You hear hoof uh, hoofbeats. No, you at, you you straight up see it. Do Trust you? me, mate. I watch. I rewatched this film like an hour ago. Okay. You see it. That, that, that's and that's what I mean. That's the whole because that's you can't see the figure who casts the whole thing. And and so, but you don't even get any details that it looks like it could be him mm. or his dad. It's just a shadowy figure, and then you get the stag. But Harry wouldn't know the stag thing because he doesn't know the Marauders. Yeah, and yeah. and what they did. So hence why I was saying, like, why the hell would he assume it was his dad? Yeah, you do say it, eventually he does. He does conjure like a barrier, um, and like when Sirius is kind of all hurt after the werewolf fight. He's got a barrier, and the sort of Dementors are hitting against it. But then he starts to pass out, and then suddenly the stag comes in and knocks them all away. The big, powerful Patronus. There are so many things that I do like about this film because I think it's it's one of the more entertaining ones, just on its own merits. Um, but and you know, I mean, you have great scenes. I really like the Boggart scene where they're all facing their fears and have to make it. You know, kind of thing, and it's genuinely creepy. I don't know why. I think it's 
Havati Patil, not Padma. But she's scared of snakes. And then she changes it into a terrifying jack-in-the-box. No. That is, is scarier than the snake. The way it's lurching forward and everything. But they build dread of it quite nicely. And you do get to see Alan Rickman in a, uh, in a full dress and vulture hat. Well, this has got his famous line from Harry Potter, hasn't it, this one? Oh, wait, his whole, his flamboyant entrance into the whole Turn thing. Turn to where page he's... 394. Oh, so good. But that's the thing, like, storming in, <laughs> storming into the classroom, using your wand to s- snap all the shutters shut, and then, you know, pulling down the screen and, and turning on your heel and then saying that, I, oh, it's so cool. It is cool. But I love the fact that how obvious he's being about the whole thing, like about the whole werewolves thing, especially recognising them. And Hermione's the only one who gets what he's talking about. Yeah, but we've established before that Harry isn't interested in the magical world unless he's in the confines of Hogwarts. <laughs> That's true. Magic? I had no idea. Yeah. Yes, that is an all-time scene. That that is, I think that may be my favourite Snape scene. It's it's flamboyantly badass. Mm. I think it's the cape adds to it. Yeah. If you're going to storm through the... something, you need a cape to swish. Oh hell yeah! And Rickman rocks it. So um, so yeah. No, so this it, then it going back to our time episode, our oh, bunch of episode, time travel films. Time. Time. This is the film I was thinking of where you sort of have a a slight. There's there's weird things about the film, and then they're kind of explained through time travel later on. Yes. Yes. And then, then we realised once we'd finished recording that, that there are loads of films outside of Prisoner of Azkaban that do that. It's just mainly Prisoner of Azkaban. Azkaban. Prisoner of Azkaban isn't, isn't even the best example of it. Uh, Tenet is probably the Tenet's best a good example. example. So, no, you, you have all that stuff and it's, it's all good. Uh, you know, the, uh, the rocks being flung and... Uh, I really like Hermione's just going... appearing in different places. Yes, yes, that's a that's a good thing. Um, but I really like the when Hermione and Harry turning back time in Madame Pomfrey's kind of thing. Have you noticed the sort of you know the figures that sort of zip past and everything? Yeah. There's one guy who gets bandaged from the waist up. Yes, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then, you know that's a, that's a neat little thing to add. They didn't need to add that, but it was cool that they did. I also like, just as I said, more details, because I think this one is more detail-orientated. There are kind of funny things in the background or kind of whatever, like all the, the portraits. There's more of the move in this one. Yeah, that wants to fight people. There's an oh, entire that was giraffe. Because in the book, he becomes, he replaces the uh, the fat yes, lady. fat lady. Sir, Sir Cadogan, I think, is called Cadogan. Oh, it, he's voiced by Paul Whitehouse. Is he? Yeah, I saw the I saw the the, the credits of that, and I was assuming because they have the ghosts uh, on horseback busting through the window, but not really busting through the yeah. window because they're ghosts. And that's that's the headless hunt because he's holding he's holding a head in his hands, mm. and then you get the headless one chasing him. So I thought he was one of those, but no. If that's that night going like ha ha and everything, that's that's Paul Whitehouse. There's also a, uh, a giraffe one that kind of just strides around, which I like. Yeah, what and takes up about seven different yeah. paintings on a huge thing. It's awesome. Yeah, the draft was was one of my favourite details as well. Um, they definitely expanded the world in this one, but both, mm. both in that you go to you know a little wizard village of Hogsmeade as well. Yes, 
I'm not I'm not sympathetic with Harry about the Hogsmeade thing. No. I understand everyone's going and he's not, but then he should realise that it's for his own safety. But maybe that's just me talking as an old head now. <laughs> just, Kids these know, days and the Yeah, well it's just like Because you never you went know, out of school when you shouldn't have. No. You have no proof. What proof do you have? Uh well this dossier of Ben's attendance records I've kept since uh... Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I took a lot of unscheduled breaks. Sometimes went to Cardiff. And other places to watch movies. Didn't we, Rob? No. My parents might be listening. No. <laughs> we saw Spider-Man 2. We did. I think that was after... Um, and I think Star Wars 3. Yeah, I think we saw Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah. But that That's was when exams were done. It was that weird fallow period. Yeah. Whereas the weird fallow period of school for me was all of it. Yes. Well. <laughs> so, so you know, I was, I was and remain much cooler than Rob. So, you got you got all the Hogsmeade stuff, and also he steals Neville's lolly. Yeah. What the hell's that about? But he he gets he gets to Hogsmeade finally via the Marauders map. The the Weasley twins give him that they bestow it upon him. And and he ends up in the cellar of honey dukes and then goes up and, and you know it's all the all the kind of fun candy, chocolate, sweets, all the sweet things. And then they got the shrieking shack and the scene where Hermione and Ron are at the sweet shrieking the squeaking schwack and Ron's scared and whatever and then Malfoy and his cronies come along and I I get the fact that they're meant to think that ghosts are attacking them, you know, with the snowballs and everything. But again, it's too cartoony. Literally, someone gets pantsed. I guess it's a bit of light relief in... No, I <laughs> I realise that, and I realise this is for kids. But it also, they establish the whole thing that, that you know, he's invisible. He's not incorporeal, so you can see his footprints hmm. in the snow. They don't have any of that. They just ignore that for that bit. Yeah. There are, there, are, there are a couple of inconsistencies to the definitely real thing of magic in this movie that annoys me. So, have you got any more thoughts on uh, Azkaban? Because we've been talking for quite a while, and we. Oh, no, no, I've got, I've got plenty. Shut up. Don't say sorry. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying that that doesn't annoy me. But then it gets to that scene, and I said before about this. You know, you mentioned that he was their friend scene and oh and he betrayed them he was their friend and he betrayed Uh, them well do you know what do you know what's almost as bad as that is the is the crying sounds beforehand because he's meant to be he's meant to be crying he's meant to be and and hermione is meant to kind of like figure out you know that the the, where he is from the sound and then well in fact you should have to choir over yes yeah but you know and it's it's just it, clearly the dude can't cry on camera yet. Like clearly there's no kind of thing there. So why, yeah, that he was their friend is shockingly bad. I also don't like if we're talking about line delivery. There's the bit where they're all sleeping in the hall, in um, in sleeping bags, and. Mm. Dumbledore and Snape have a really loud conversation next to sleeping children. <laughs> and there's literally anywhere else in the castle to talk, but they choose where all the kids are. Yeah, let's not tell Harry. Someone's trying to kill him. But and he says yeah. about let him dream because, and it's just a bit about um, something about when you know our, our dreams take us place. It just feels really cheesy and just yeah, ugh. 
Yeah. Whereas I think Richard Harris could have actually got away with that line. But then he had a much more whispery delivery for Dumbledore. Yes. Which worked. But then I don't, I don't know how it would have worked later on when he becomes an action hero. More of an action mm-hmm. hero. Yeah. No, it, it, you needed a, a, a mix between the two. But mm. I think I think Richard Harris and his sort of, you know, faraway whisper when he's talking about these things, I think he would have sold the <laughs> out of that line. Whereas Gambon, it, it's not it's not a good Gambon line. Mm. Um, no, I agree. Oh, and I like the another bit I really like. I like how mental serious serious is bef- like before the reveal that actually he's cool. But I like the the poor prince in the dust then leading to yes. serious. I think that's really cool. And I like the fact that he's kind of like a fun psycho for a bit. He's like, Hello, Harry. You know, mm. all teeth and one and I like that it takes Harry twenty minutes to be like, Yeah, I can live with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I really, I really wish that that Whomping Willow scene was uh, better. The, you know, I understand that it's got to be that that Ron and Scavers have to be dragged under the thing. But then, do we have to have a whole sequence where bad CGI kind of like branches hitting the kids, and then especially and it, it and I know I again I know this is a kids movie with wizards and magic i get it but like there's one bit where hermione is on one of the branches and she's being flung from from left to right and you know up and down she's kind of whatever and you have a proper kind of cartoon thing where harry's just standing there and as she passes she grabs him by the front of the show and he stays still and and... yeah and he gets he gets a moment to be like oh and then you just needed that fucking sound effect i don't know why that is in there maybe again maybe i'm just i'm just a grumpy cynical my my least favorite bit of the film and it left a bad taste in my mouth when i saw it at the the, you know for the first time in cinema i think um is at it ends on a freeze frame and i i hate it It, yeah it it makes me really irritated I, i don't mind the freeze frame I mean, it's it's a weird it's a weird sort of blurring effect that they have. I don't like a freeze frame to an to end a film. No, I don't want to fade out, but a freeze frame just I know annoys me. Well, that's the best thing you could offer, was it? Yeah, I like a, a, a like a snap out. Like um, I like the end of Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, when he just snaps the compass shut and that, and that ends. Go home. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. good ending. But freezing on Harry's weird stretched grinning face, no. I quite like I quite like the fact it's a it's a snapshot of him at his happiest. I think you hate joy only when it's frozen. Goblet of Fire. Yes, that is also a film. Of what is in this series? <laughs> I'm glad we switched over the presenting duties. <laughs> well, I just I get to the meat of the, the story. The rest of it can go to hell. Presentation directed by Goblet. Mike Newell. Starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, Robbie Coltrane, Ralph Fiennes, Michael Gambon, Brendan Gleeson, Jason Isaacs, Gary Oldman, Alan Rickman, Maggie Smith and Timothy Spall. The description from the inside of the uh, Blu-ray cover I had to slip out is... Very physical media. Very physical media. Harry Potter is mysteriously entered into a tribe's tournament, a grueling contest among three wizarding schools, in which he confronts a dragon, water demons and an enchanted maze, only to find himself in Lord Voldemort's grasp. All will change when Harry, Ron and Hermione leave childhood forever and face challenges beyond their imagining. So there are a couple of things. I've got a question for you. Go on. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? 
I, I thought about shouting that in a Dumbledore way, but mm. I was worried about your ears. And mm-hmm. also, I know sometimes we have on occasion woken our listeners up who listen to us throughout the night. I know. You saying we should get whispery and sexy with it? No, we should probably just talk at a consistent level. Okay. I can do that. It's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, there's that very, very famous scene in, in, in the book comparison to the movie comparison, isn't it? The uh, Because I think Dumbledore in the book just says it gently, whereas I believe... Because Dumbledore trusts him. Because yeah, Gambledore grabs him by the lapel. Throws him across the room. <laughs> I think that's what I mean when, when I said that Gambledore is... With the intensity and everything, it is it is a more intense performance. It's not quite as kind of like... Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> yeah, it's not... Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? I, I genuinely think... Because that was so out of character for Dumbledore, both on uh, on on the page, certainly on the page, and I think what you've been shown in the film so far that I actually think he struggled to recover from it. What Gambledore? Gambledore, yeah. Actually, just from that one scene, I think so because he is so out of character. Well, I, what's the? I'm trying to find the actual passage in the book now, because it's a short book. You shouldn't shouldn't take too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. It, it, it's luckily this has been memed to death. Um, yeah, because they... so yeah, it said Harry, who looked back at him, trying to discern the expression of eyes behind the half moon spectacles. Did you put your name into the goblets of fire, Harry? He asked calmly. <laughs> then they got, then they got the gif of Gaffeldor lurching towards him, saying, "Harry, did you put your name in the goblet of fire?" As he throws him up against the cabinet. Yeah, I, it's. <laughs> he's like he's playing good cop, bad cop with himself. <laughs> it's yeah, it's an interesting choice. Then again, you got to put your own spin on it, I suppose. And if you want to be like a, a police chief in the 1970s with it, <laughs> then have at it, Gambon. You've, You've got 24 hours, Potter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's... Yes, that, that is odd. And with this as well, with the whole try was a tournament thing and whatever, I do feel that it... It almost kind of puts the Triwizards Tournament on the. It's like driving the thing, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel super important, even though that's the main plot. I don't know why. I think it. Yeah, I guess so. I think what was good about Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, uh, of Prisoner of Azkaban, was that they kind of gave more room to the the pupils to kind of develop and sort of have personalities and make it more like a school. And I think maybe mm. they did too much of that in this one. Quite possibly. Because it's, it's a long it's... book. Apparently they considered mm. doing it in two parts at one point. But, I mean, I guess the main focus of the stories, the Tribe of the Tournament, is just a, uh, like a mask for what's happening with, you know, Dumb- uh, not Dumbledore, sorry, with Voldemort. Mm. Yeah. But it's just like... The minute, the minute, spoilers, he comes back, 
all the tribalism stuff isn't, isn't important anymore. Well, yes. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It was clearly a, a, a trap to get to get Harry to touch the Triwizard Cup, which was a port key to the graveyard where Voldemort was waiting for him. Again, just like um, just a throwaway sentence when they say that. Mm. But it's... I get the feeling that with this one, there are a lot of things that I just... I feel that they could have expanded on and then other things they could have cut out entirely. Hmm. And the thing I really don't... I really wish we'd seen more of the Quidditch World Cup at the beginning. But time. They're, they're, it's, it's just timing, really. They're, they're, mm. You know, because you, you, you want to see more of Hogwarts, otherwise it'd be like they weren't there. Yeah, I suppose. But it it's is, it is like... impressive. I, I remember um, it's, it's one of the, the scenes of something I've seen in cinema that kind of really does stick out to me, seeing the, um, the stadium on a big screen. It was quite impressive. Mm. The way you kind of zoom up and then zoom down and into the stadium. I like that. Mm. But uh, but yeah, and, and then obviously the sort of chaos afterwards, and and the Death Eaters just setting fire to everything. Or the uh, Wizard Kukat clan. Yeah, it doesn't Goblet Fire open with the, the with the dude dying. Yes, I mean that was a dark opening to the book, hmm. and, and it definitely has that sort of ooh, bloody hell. Well, Again, I think <laughs> on Northern. I'm sorry, you should keep doing that. I don't know why. It's not it's, how I it's like you're, it's like you're stuck in the seventies uh, sitcoms. Yeah, You've already yeah. had your sort of like carry on. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've kind of always divided the, uh, the, the books uh, almost into um, like the, the the first two, possibly three, are kind of um, the sort of the lighter hearted ones. I know the third one gets starts to get darker, and then this is really the transition one to but sort of between. The sort of the oh look, it's all wizards to everything's hell of mm. the later books. There is there is an interesting thing because you've got uh, Roger Lloyd Pack as uh, Barty Crouch Senior, yeah, and and you get more of a sense of the Ministry of Magic this time round. Like yes, Fudge has been kind of in it, but these are full as the Fudge, like a Agatha Christie full as the Fudge. Okay. Oh, I thought you'd love that, mate. I, I, I was trying to that dr- for a whole twenty seconds. Okay, I was trying to. Sorry, but, but I wasn't sure if you if you thought Roger Lloyd Pack was in. No, 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 no. Cornelius Fudge. Yeah, is the but and then it's full of the fudge. Okay, um, is, yeah, you do get. I think as each film yeah. goes on, you 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 do go into the wizard world more. Like now, they've got sporting events and uh, yes, race rides. That's what I mean. So so this is yeah. But this this kind of this expands the whole thing, and and Barty Crouch Senior, and I will say I don't think it's clever, but there is a line. So obviously at the World Cup, the Death Eaters going around causing havoc, burning tents, being generally unpleasant, and uh, then a dark mark is cast in the sky, which is Voldemort's calling card, and. Um, Barty Crouch Senior is introduced with a line that sounded a lot ruder than it actually was. What he actually says is, "Which one of you conjured it?" What I heard was, "Which one of you did it?" I can't hear it any other way now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Goblet of Fire is is a weird one because you do have cool touches and cool you know not only are we expanding you know the 
the sort of wizard political world as well as as you said sporting events and things like that but also we delve into the past and how they dealt with the sort of immediate fallout of Voldemort being defeated and and you know the, the whole auras thing and 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 we get introduced to Mad-Eye Moody Brennan Gleeson probably my favorite character in the he is brilliant he I'll looks like he's having a fun well he does he does, but I'll come back to it in a minute because I've, I've got a serious question to ask you about that. With the kind of expansion of the whole thing, it it does it does feel like this is this is the yeah this is the wizarding world now. It was just Hogwarts and, yeah. and, and like things were impinging on Hogwarts and Hogsmeade was like tentative steps out of the thing. But this is this is the wide world now, and there's there's nothing that can protect you, <laughs> which you know is kind of a nice well, theme got- of adulthood. In some ways, it's um, it's like the sort of the game of the way Game of Thrones did it was that Game of Thrones was this the first series was this kind of uh, medieval style epic and then no magic at all, and then there's sort of talk of dragons and at the end, okay, there are dragons and then just more and more things happen in it and it's kind of like you're almost on board with it. Mm. So it's almost like that that you're in this school, okay, there's magic and then they just expand it really well. It is a really good world building. Mm, it is. And I really, I, I love all the uh, the design of the Ministry of Magic and everything, especially that that insane statue that they have in the middle. We don't see that till the next one, do we? No, but but because I've because I've seen it up close and everything as well. Like you know it from you you do get to see the sort of the main hall bit. I think I'm pretty sure you do. I'm pretty sure you see you see a, a Cornelius Fudge saying stuff. Like, I think that I think that might be at the start of uh, Order of the Phoenix. Quite possibly. But you, I mean, you see the. Uh, I guess you have a flashback where you see sort of interrogation or the, the, the trials, don't you? Speaking of which, mm-hmm. so obviously we know the spoiler. Everyone should know the spoilers. I don't know why you're listening to a deep dive into Harry Potter without knowing the stories or having seen the movies. So turns out Mad Eye Moody ain't Mad Eye Moody. He's Barty Crouch Jr. He's he's the Doctor. I think um, that was the same year he was uh, Doctor Who, because he has a, quite a small role for what was, you mm, know, for where yeah, his star was at the time. Would 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 yeah, there would be more focus on that. And I do think there should be more focus on the Barty Crouch Senior, Barty Crouch Junior hmm. thing, because Barty Crouch Senior is, is kind of a tragic figure, but also not because he completely ostracized his son i mean clearly but like there's the the fact that he did that for his own sort of like mental well-being and everything he just couldn't handle the fact that his son was a death eater and everything i mean it's a it's a hell of a cartoony performance from ten hello father and with the yeah, with weird uh, licking tongue thing as well so he was playing mad moody so are the things i really like about mad moody actually the things i like about barty crouch jr Playing Mad Eye Moody. Yeah, they never really go back to address that in the in the, well, in the films or in the book. Because I love I love him turning Malfoy into like a ferret mm. and bouncing him. And what um, are you doing? Teaching. Teaching. <laughs> Is that a student? <laughs> Donkey. Yeah, well, exactly. Her accent is not far off the whole Shrek thing. I really like how weirdly intense the bit about the unforgivable curses gets. Mm. Like it starts off fun and people are just like, whatever. And he, he kind of 
lets them laugh for a bit and then it slowly becomes more and more serious. I love that. Yeah. And it, it's genuinely chilling by the end. Yes, when he uh, sort of like makes Hermione kill it or say what the curse is and she refuses. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry would be like, I swear I heard that before from Lucius Malfoy. Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> he was like, wait a minute, I gave Dobby a sock and, and I heard that. Yeah. No, that's probably <laughs> fine. Lucius Malfoy's back in it though, so I like that. Um, yeah, which which is this the one that has the Death Eater skull masks? Yeah, they get much better ones later. Well, this I guess, um, like the Stormtroopers, kept having remakes every time there's a new Star Wars film. That mm. in uh, I guess Voldemort had when when he was exiled, he he had chance to um, think of how he wanted his followers to look because they've all got the sort of the pointy hats and the. Uh, yeah, the sort of half skulls, which when they're taken off, they fall to the floor because reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such a bad look. Whereas the the proper masks. Um, We're getting rid of the um the the sort of the pointy hats as well. Yeah, well, this film has had a lot of mistakes with pointy hats, and we talked about the elf hats in the first one. Um, but uh, but yeah, this one has the sort of the masquerade kind of ball inspired ones. Later, are cool. This one. <laughs> I think. Do you know? I think Robert Pattinson is genuinely good as uh, as Cedric Diggory. I think you would root for him. Yeah, I think he has that likable posh boy done mm. quite well. well. This was often voted the best. Um, so when it was left up to the internet, it was usually voted the best one because of um, his involvement in Twilight. Mm. Yes, but I think it's my least favorite book. I, I've always been a sucker for sort of like, I, I think I've maybe even said this on the podcast before. Like, I've, I'm always a sucker for sort of like arena sports and like sort of combat type things where you have a huge crowd. So obviously the sort of trial by the dragons and everything that's that's speaking that's speaking to me personally. That's yeah, but that's like, not really arena because they they go away from the crowd straight away. He sort of flies yeah, up well, and the school. Th- that's that's the problem in the book. He actually uses his brain. Yeah. And and thinks what he's best at and does it. Whereas this, you've got an extended action sequence that makes no sense. I really, I really, really hate the way that his his trial goes in the first one, because it's just oh the the dragon it it does it even get tired? It does it get tired or it or just flies into something? I mean, it causes insane damage to lovely Hogwarts. I know it's magical and they could probably fix it in a heartbeat, but still, that's not the point. It's the principle of the thing. Damn it. Secondly, where does the dragon go? It just falls into the ravine, but flying. So, whatever. Plus, how are they watching it? Do they have magical screens? Yes, yeah. Do they? Well, in the book, they have omninoculars or something, mm. where they can sort of magically slow down and speed things up. And I guess, I guess they're using that, but they don't do that in the program in the film. But it's all around Hogwarts, and it's mm. it's such a it's such a dumb action sequence. It's it's so unnecessary. Yeah, and I I hate everything about it because it's it's again showing the sort of Harry pretty much succeeding via dumb luck more than anything else, rather than being skilled at flying. Yeah, yeah. Because because I I think in the book you know obviously again we know that. The, you can you can uh, convey the thought process and everything, obviously a lot better in a book. That's that's obvious. But having him put together, oh yes, I need I need my broom, and then sort of just just tricking the dragon into sort of getting off the egg 
so he can go and snatch it. And uh, that plays more to his strengths. And it's just, yeah, I don't know why they needed an action sequence there. Surely it was exciting enough, him facing off against a dragon. Why, why, why do we have to? Why do we have to go all around the grounds? I'm sure that was a very expensive sequence to, to do. But there's no need for it. Hmm. And and as I said, it makes it makes Harry look dumb. It makes it, it looks like he's taking a, an insane risk for no, real reason. You know, they have the whole thing chain breaking and whatever, but whatever. The whole Rita Skeeter thing abandoned after a while. You know, it's an interesting thing about the media yeah. and sort of yeah. making things worse and his perception of it. But um, you don't even find out how she's getting her exclusive scoops. No, they just kind of forget about it. Yep. I do like Dumbledore's bewildered. What are you doing here, Miss Granger? <laughs> what are you doing here, Miss Granger? <laughs> <laughs> Pins are up against the wall. <laughs> they have some yes. consistency. <laughs> yes, you know that could have been that could have been interesting. That whole thing with the media playing up all the different things, the the sort of narrative that they have around Harry and and you know Rita Skeeter was really irritating. So that's all good, but yeah, they just forget about that, and they don't like Ron and Hermione are meant to be sort of getting closer and closer to getting together at this point and that whole thing about Hermione being a love interest is meant to drive another wedge between them because obviously they have a big falling out in this film hmm. but it's just it's just a lot of sort of threadbare parts I think there are bits that I really like you know I think the um, the Yule Ball is great. Jarvis Cocker and some yes. members of Radiohead as the Weird Sisters. Can you dance like a hippogriff? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I like the fact that, like most school parties, they have a designated crying staircase yeah. <laughs> where there's a bunch of girls and I was just, just sat there sobbing. So, you know, clearly something's gone on. And Ron That's and Harry great. are horrible in the Yule Ball. Yes, they are, to the Patel sisters. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, they really are. They're... Yes. Um, but it's like, I like the influence of Durmstrang and Beaubaton as the thing. I like the fact that Hagrid has kind of got a love interest uh, with Madame Maxime. And Karkaroff is, is you know, obviously the, uh, the he was totally not a Death Eater, you guys, uh, character. Yeah. But, uh, but it's like the the underwater thing with the mer people and everything. I don't think that particularly works. I quite like the sort of weird botched shark boy thing that Crumb turns into. Yes, I, I don't. I don't really enjoy the the, the the maybe it's the book or maybe it's the way it's portrayed on the screen. I don't particularly enjoy much of the Travis tournament to be honest. But it it should be. It should feel exciting. It doesn't hmm. really feel that exciting, and it should be. It should be kind of one of those things where. Everyone's hyped apart from the people who have to do it because obviously Harry is in way over his head when it comes to this, hmm. and it, you don't you don't get that feeling again. It's the sort of dumb luck type thing. You don't really understand his thought process, and he's and I know he's being helped along. That's the whole point. He's he's being given the answers and and whatever, and, and being pushed towards the end of the the whole thing. But it's just like 
it makes him seem completely oblivious. And why would you root for a, a himbo? This is one where they've all got long hair, all the boys, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. So you know, Harry, Harry does seem like just just surviving on on dumb luck alone, which is. I think it's fairly consistent not... for his character. I mean, he's meant to. Yeah, yeah he's competent. I, well, he's... he's not meant to be, you know, amazing at magic. He's just competent at it, and his luck. And as you know, as we said last time, that that's kind of what sets him aside from Voldemort is that he has his friends and people to help him or, or tell him what to do. Mm. And then you have the final task, which is different from the book. Well, it's a maze in the book, but this is just a they, maze, maze that moves they, around. Whereas in they the book, barely do anything with the maze. It's yeah. really, really disappointing. Didn't they have a sphinx and riddles and stuff? Yeah, I think it was necromantula as well and stuff. It's just things to kind yeah. of fight, but yeah, and sort of whatever. Whereas now they just get grabbed by vines. That's really, really disappointing. It should feel climactic. It just feels a bit creepy beforehand, and it feels like it's setting you up for the Voldemort graveyard thing, which obviously it is. Yeah, but it's just like this film should be exciting. And it isn't. And and I used to really quite like this movie because, again, I think the sort of arena feel, the, the combat sport type thing kind of fed into it. You know, your boy loves himself a good tournament, but it just it just it doesn't it doesn't hang together. As the bits that I think are really, really well observed and, and, and really kind of fun little scenes, but it doesn't feel like a cohesive piece. It just feels like a bunch of scenes happening rather than leading towards the goal. I mean, I, I think. The one thing that I think they do really well, you know, they have with, as I said, with Mad-Eye Moody and when he's showing the curses and everything, that changing changing the emotional stakes on a dime. So you have, you know, it's kind of fun and then it becomes serious and mm. chilling. And obviously when you have the final bit when Harry is faced off against Voldemort and the spare has been killed. That's such a so, cold line. It's so callous, isn't it? Kill yeah. the spare. When they come back and you've got the sort of triumphant kind of music and everything, and everyone's cheering, and yeah. Harry's just holding on to Cedric, and you just and and then his dad realizes what's going on. I find his dad's reaction uh, reaction that that gets me. That does. Yeah, that's it's genuinely genuinely heartbreaking. Like you go, oh Christ, you know, and and it, but it's it's again, it's the turn of like, oh, it's a jubilant thing. Oh no, it's awful. It's yeah. actually terrible. And the music carries on slightly too long as yeah. people are realizing. There are a couple of scenes that do that, and I think that's very hard to do well, hmm. and uh, and they do it well. But the rest of it, I'm not really feeling. I like Voldemort. I like his introduction. Um, mm. How it's no, you know, that how he's sort of stuck there watching as they have the the, the flesh, bone, and, um, and and blood spell, mm. and then how sort of he just kind of emerges almost like this wraith-like figure. I like how light of foot he is as well, the way he sort of, yes. he's almost, almost like a really sinister ballet dancer, the way he kind of moves around. Yeah. And I love and, his delivery of, that's a boy, it's, Harry! It's it's not Voldemort, it's David Tremolo. Hmm. But he, Ray finds it is brilliant as him. Oh yeah, definitely. But then... Ray Fiennes is is fantastic in yeah. most things, but you know, yes, the the whole kind of like being fully formed and and the sort of the weird hand movements he has that are all sort of creepy and the sort of the, the lazy way he holds his wand as well is it I like yeah he sort of pinches it doesn't yeah. he kind of yeah very odd but cool and I like his mocking scream as well of when Harry's sort of screaming because Voldemort's uh, sort of touching his lightning scar and mm. he's just going wah, wah, wah. Before Midsummer, yes, yes, 
got some cool visuals, some cool scenes, but it, it doesn't. This felt like more of a slog. I think it's because you've had the enjoyable world building of the first three, of the first two films, and then the third one is, is different and fun. This one again feels different, but it's almost like you're waiting for the meat of the story. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, you could have just had sort of uh, somehow Voldemort has returned. <laughs> yeah, well, that always works, gangbusters. We know that to be true. But uh, yeah, it, I, but that's the thing. I, I I remember liking Goblet of Fire a lot more. But I just, I just didn't get it this time. I just didn't get that sort of same charge from it. I was just like, no, this is actually kind of weak. It's the Age of Ultron of the um, Harry Potter films. But I like Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a decent film, but it's when you feel you have to kind of get through to um, for the finale. Yeah, I suppose. So, so I'm, I kind of, I don't want to end, end on a, a down note here, but I you mean, feel that. Film, you I was... do have another out of character Dumbledore. Um, of when he sort of just grabs Harry's arm and wrenches out of his socket to see to sort of see his cut. Yeah, yeah. Gambledore hasn't quite nailed it all down yet, has he? No. Still a few loose boards. Well, I, mean, I suppose if he had come in and done sort of the whispery wise up man, it would have almost been like he was um, trying to do an impression of Richard Harris. Yeah, which... and I, I appreciate the fact that he's going his own way with it, but it's it's it, it's a little jarring when you're watching these mm. things back to back. I suppose if if you're watching them with sort of years between the things, it's probably maybe not. No, I think it's jarring at the time. Mm. That's pretty much it. That's that's Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. Done. Indeed. We're, we're done with them now. So next, Order of the Phoenix. So Order of the Phoenix next? Yeah, Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince. Half Blood Prince. Sick. Cool. Well, outros then, bud. Okay. That's it for this week. We hope you has a wi- had a wizard time. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at thepopcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd. Many thanks of, to Lawrence Owen of Longcome Media for the theme music. If you're able to, it'd be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Many thanks. Take care and see you next episode. What he said. No, you've not Why? got a fun. You've not got a funny thing to throw in after that, or I really do. I'll, like, I'll just do it at the end of the series. Calling me something rude, or like a mudblood. <laughs>